You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. full of faith, full of power, did great wonders and signs for the people. The people are amazed because this guy, full of faith, is doing signs and wonders in front of them. And remember, we talked about signs and wonders. It was the signs of wonders that drew people to God. It wasn't the signs and wonders themselves that saved. Signs and wonders don't save. The only person that saves is Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the only one that gives salvation. Signs and wonders. You can have all the signs and wonders you want, and you can seek them all you want. But if you don't accept Christ in your heart, you will not be saved. Signs and wonders do not equal salvation in and of themselves. Today in Pastor Dave's message, he shares with you that only Jesus and belief in Him alone has the power to save. Signs and wonders displayed within the Bible were a means to bring people to the saving knowledge of the Lord. But only faith in Jesus is what saves. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 7 as he begins his message, Stephen the Martyr. Come to the close of Acts chapter 7, so if you'll turn in your books to Acts chapter 7, we're basically going to be studying verses 54 through 60 today, but I'm going to read verses 51 through 60 so that we can get a running start, kind of pick up a little bit of what we talked about last week and get a running start in it, okay? Acts 7, verse 51 is what we covered last week. We covered verse 51 to 53. I'll begin reading. You can read along silently, please. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of the angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth, being But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Well, we're coming to that point in the time when we're going to have to say goodbye to Stephen. Stephen's been a good friend. We've been dealing with Stephen now for a long time. We've been looking at him, reading his story, and he's about to be martyred. He's about to be martyred for his witness and his testimony of Jesus Christ. When you think of the word martyr, what comes to mind? When you think of the word martyr, what do you think about or what is your thoughts? Do you immediately think of Stephen and and do you immediately think of others that may have been um, killed or others that have died as a result of their witness and their testimony for Jesus Christ? 
According to various definitions, a martyr is a person who voluntarily, voluntarily suffers death as a penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce a religion, or a person who sacrifices of something of great value, especially life itself, for the sake of principle. I picked up a book the other day, and I was reading it as studying for this message, and the book was entitled Jesus Freaks. It's a book that was put out in conjunction with DC Talk, which happened to be a Christian rock band at that time, and the voice of the martyrs. These people keep up with those that have given their lives for Christ. And when I turned the page, the very first page of the book had a definition of the word martyr that I'd like to share with you today. It's very interesting, and if you don't know this, martyr comes from the Greek word martis, M-A-R-T-Y-S, which actually means witness. That word means witness. And it means one who chooses to suffer death than to deny Jesus Christ or his work. A martyr is someone who bears testimony to the truth of what he has seen, heard, or knows, as in a witness in a court of justice. A martyr is someone who sacrifices something very important to further the kingdom of God, who endures severe or constant suffering for their Christian witness. And finally, a martyr, according to this book, is a Jesus freak. Very interesting that if you look at the word martyr coming from the original Greek martis, which is in the New Testament, it means one who brings testimony usually written or verbal. In particular, the testimony is that of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, more generally, the Word of God. A Christian witness is a biblical witness. Whether or not death follows does not change the word of martyr. But over time, over time, these Christian testimonies, when they were rejected, people were put to death because of their testimonies and because of their refusal to reject Jesus Christ. And hence, the word martyr now takes on what we know it to mean today. Someone who is giving their life in defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where death ensues, the witness follows the example of Jesus, and they offer up their lives for truth. This is where we find Stephen today. He's been witnessing in a court of justice and bearing testimony to that which was heard and what he knows to be truth. Stephen's been witnessing to the Sanhedrin, to the council now, for quite a long time. This has been a long message, and we've spent a long time going through this message part by part. But he's telling them what he knows to be truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one whom they were waiting for, the one who the prophets foretold of, and the one whom was murdered and crucified. He's telling them that. Remember when we first met Stephen? We first met Stephen back in Acts 6, and we found out his attributes or his characteristics, for, for the lack of a better term, because he was one of the ones that were chosen for the distribution of food that was lacking to the widows. He was chosen to wait tables, for lack of a better term. And back in Acts 6, 3, we found out what these attributes were. He was called to be a man, or they were looking for men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. So the first thing we realize about Stephen is that he's a servant. He has a servant's heart. He wants to be used by God. He's probably been praying a long time after his, after his conversion, and he wants God to use him in a mighty way. And then the seven, or the apostles, come to him, and they ask him to be one of these seven people. 
Be one of these seven people because he has a good reputation, because he's full of the Holy Spirit, because he has wisdom, and that wisdom is of God. And they say, be one of us. So Stephen has this servant heart, and the first thing he does is say, well, yeah, sure, Lord, I'll be one of your people. I'll come and witness for you. Absolutely. So Stephen has this servant heart. He has this servant heart, a heart that God's looking for. Do you have that servant heart today? You have a heart that God's looking for that wants to be used? Do you have a heart that's open to whatever he wants to do in your life? Regardless of what the results would be, do you have a heart for God? Has God called you to a purpose, to a special purpose in his life? Because we've all been called to be martyrs, oops, witnesses. We've all been called to be witnesses of his. But the emphasis that Stephen had in his life was fullness. Stephen's life was full. He was full of the Holy Spirit, we're told. He was full of wisdom. What kind of wisdom? The wisdom of God. He knew what God wanted. He had discernment because of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5 of chapter 6, it says he was full of faith. And in verse 8 of chapter 6, it says he was full of power, the power of God. What does this mean? It means he was controlled by these things. He was controlled by God's Holy Spirit. He was controlled by God's wisdom. He was controlled by his faith that kept on growing every time he would use it. He was controlled by the power that was given to him by God Almighty. So Stephen has this beautiful heart, this wonderful heart to be a servant. Remember, the Lord is looking to and fro for such a heart. God is looking for a heart that he can use this very day, 9-11, to show the love of Christ in the midst of a dying world, a world that is in chaos, a world that is crumbling before us in all kinds of ways. God is looking for someone to stand up for him and lead the way so that others would know him. He's not looking for someone that can get pats on the backs and someone that could be raised up to be a person of notice. He's looking for someone to cry out, it's Jesus Christ and Christ only. Pay no attention to the man behind the mirror. Pay no attention to the guy. It's Christ and Christ only. It's Christ and Christ crucified. That's what God's looking for. That's what Stephen was. So Stephen's his servant. The next thing we see is Stephen is a witness. And here we have the beginning of the use of the word martyr, martis. Stephen is a witness for God. He didn't limit his ministry to serving tables. He didn't limit his ministry to that which God has put for him. He's a man who's always stepping out of the boundaries, always stepping out to see what God would do. See, when God places you in a position, he wants you to reach out and do all that you can do in his name and do all that you can do in his power. So he put Stephen here, and he said, go. And in verse 8 of chapter 6, we says, Stephen, full of faith, full of power, did great wonders and signs for the people. The people are amazed because this guy, full of faith, is doing signs and wonders in front of them. And remember, we talked about signs and wonders. It was the signs of wonders that drew people to God. It wasn't the signs and wonders themselves that saved. Signs and wonders don't save. The only person that saves is Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the only one that gives salvation. Signs and wonders. You can have all the signs and wonders you want, and you can seek them all you want. But if you don't accept Christ in your heart, you will not be saved. But because of his witness and because of his testimony, he's arrested. Imagine that. He's arrested, and he's brought before the Sanhedrin. He's brought before this, this group of men, these Pharisees and Sadducees and other scribes, and they're sitting there, and they're going to stand in judgment of him. Aha. We see Stephen was a servant. Stephen was a witness, and now Stephen becomes the judge. In fact, this group of people aren't judging Stephen. He's judging them. In fact, he's turning the tables on them, and now he's judging them. He reviews their history, and he points out all the misconceptions by the present, present religious leaders, all the misconceptions that were flowing along all the way, and he starts to point out, Israel, this is your sin. 
This is the way you sinned against God. This is the way you sinned against his son. And this is the way you sinned against the Holy Spirit. Stephen's pointing these things out. He becomes a judge. And all the time he's doing this, he's making a defense because he's been accused of these things. He's been accused of horrible things. Stephen looks at the religious leaders and says, you misunderstood your spiritual roots. You didn't know from whence you've come. You rejected God and you rejected the messengers that God sent all along. You killed the prophets. Which one of them didn't you kill? You disobeyed your own law. God gave you his law and you disobeyed it. And guess what, Israel? You despised the very temple that we're sitting in today. You despised your temple. He has all this against them. And as he's doing this, he's looking at their faces. Do you ever witness to somebody who's not getting it? And as you look at their face, they start to get that jaw real tight. They start to bristle a little bit because you speak and go, they start to get red in the face. That's what's happening to the council here. The council is sitting there and Stephen's going, listen, Israel, and he's hitting them, hitting them, and they're like, they're starting to get mad. They're starting to get angry. They're really starting to, to, to squirm in their chairs. Why? Because the Word of God is cutting to their hearts. The Word of God is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's cutting them and cutting them and cutting them. And, and they're sitting there listening to it. And Stephen calls out to them and says, You stiff-necked people. You've stubbornly refused God in everything you've done. You're stiff-necked. You refuse God. You resisted the truth. You uncircumcised in the heart and the ears. Guess what? You've resisted the Holy Spirit just like your fathers did. Man, they're sitting there, and they're getting hammered. They're getting mad. They're getting mad, and they're sitting there, oh, and they don't know what to do. As we begin today's study, we see the reaction to Stephen's defense. The council now is going to react. It says in verse 54 of chapter 7, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed their teeth at him. What? What did they do? They went, they gnashed their teeth at him. Can you imagine Stephen there looking at him? All these men are going. They had such hate. Their hate was vomiting out of their bodies. They had such hate for this man. But it wasn't hate for him. It was hate for God. You know that old saying, don't kill the messenger? Well, they're going to kill the messenger. I got news for you. But it was their hate for God that was getting in their way. It wasn't their hate for Stephen. It was what for Stephen had to say. Did you ever walk in and meet somebody and they just hated you for absolute no reason at all? Well, automatically they hated you. And you knew it. It's because the Spirit in you was witnessing Christ to them, and they weren't going to have it, and they hated you for it. Jesus said, they'll hate me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Trust me on this. Look at the contrast here in the phrase, cut to the heart. We've seen this phrase before when we're studying the book of Acts. Look at the contrast here. It's used in verse 54, and it's used way back in chapter 2 in verse 37. Look at the difference in responses to the cut to the heart. Now, how were they cut to the heart? Because the Word of God was doing what it was supposed to do. The Word of God cuts to the heart. The Word of God is good for reproof. It's reproof. Good for doctrine. Good for correction. Good for instruction in righteousness, we found out last week in 2 Timothy 3.16. Stephen used the Word of God to convince them. He used the Word of God to rebuke them and to teach them in long-suffering. That's what it says in 2 Timothy 4.2. So the Word of God did what it was supposed to do. The Word of God was brought forth, and the Word of God took care of their hearts, but it cut them to the heart. Now look at this contrast here. Back in Acts 2, in verse 37 and 38, Peter now is giving the first sermon after the Holy Spirit fell. And Peter, in all his boldness, is standing before the men, and he gives this great sermon. And look what it says in 37. 
Now when they had heard this, or in other words, when they heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. There's that phrase, cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at the hearts of these men. Look what they wanted. They wanted to know what should we do? What should we do? The Word of God was cutting them to the heart and it was drawing them closer to God. But the results are totally different in Acts 7. Instead of crying out, what shall we do? They're going, they're gnashing their teeth. They're so angry that their jaws are so locked together that they don't know what to do with themselves because they've hardened their hearts to God's Word. Is that where you sit today? Are you saying to God's Word, what shall we do? Or anytime you hear God's Word, you're going, are you gnashing your teeth? Are you gritting and gnashing your teeth? I believe the difference was their heart. I believe that the difference was where was their heart when this was taking place? The men in chapter 2 were where? They were in the temple, but what were they doing there? They were seeking God. They were honestly seeking God, looking for Him, and celebrating the feast, the feast of Pentecost. They were there for a reason to seek God. And the Scripture says if you seek God, you will find God. The Scripture says if you draw nigh to Him, He'll draw nigh to you. So they were honestly seeking, and they got rewarded with God Himself. These men, these councils, were far from seeking God. They had their minds made up. They had their minds made up. Trust me. They had already crucified Christ, and their minds were made up. This man is another one of those people, and we want to put him to death as well. We want to send a clear message that our traditions, that our rituals, that our word is better than God's word. That's what they're saying. We're more important than God. Our word, our traditions, the things we do are more important to God. How many times in the Scriptures and Gospels did Jesus rail against the Pharisees, rail against them because they put the traditions of man before the Word of God? Where do you place the Word of God in your life? Where is the Word of God in your life? Is it a priority or is it back here someplace where, yeah, I'll get to it when I can get to it? What do you place before the Word of God? Should anything be placed before the Word of God? Is there anything possibly that can be placed before the Word of God other than Christ? The Word of God is so powerful. But these men didn't want any part of it. Don't harden your heart to the things of God. Don't harden your heart to the things that God wants to do in your life. Is your heart towards God? Or is it towards a tradition? I come to church because that's what I do on Sunday morning. Are you honestly seeking God today? Are you just here because that's what we do? When you hear God's Word, do you say, what shall I do? Or do you gnash your teeth? Do you gnash your teeth? Gnashing of teeth is like hell. Every time Jesus spoke of hell, he said there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be a dark place. They're condemning themselves, but I got ahead of myself. So the next thing that happens is Stephen dies. They stone Stephen. They get so angry at him, they, don't have any, they, they have nothing else to do but to stone him in reaction to what he said. They are so mad. But, but there's several things that we can glean out of what happened to Stephen and some of the things that were the results of Stephen's death. And I have four of them. There's several things that were the results of... First of all, we find out in verse 55 through 56 that Stephen has a coronation. Stephen has a coronation. Bear with me here. 
In verse 55 and 56 says, But he, Stephen, being full Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Wow. When Stephen gazed into heaven, he saw Jesus standing there. Standing there, ready to receive him. And if you look at Revelation 2, verse 10, when Jesus spoke to the church in Samira, Smyrna, excuse me, Smyrna. He said, do not fear those which you are about to, things you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you be tested and will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you a crown of life. Stephen is going to receive his crown. He's going to a coronation. It's his coronation. He's going to receive a crown of glory because of his faithfulness. He's going to be raised up by God. God is going to receive him. He looks up there, and he sees Jesus standing there. And there's two different words for crown in the Old Testament in the Greek. One of them is described as a crown that a king would wear, a crown of royalty. The other crown, interestingly enough, they used the word Stephanos, which is where we get the name Stephen for a crown. This crown is given as a trophy to an athlete. This crown is given as one who would receive something that they've earned in a trophy or in a race or in an athletic event. Jesus tells this church in Revelation, you're winners and you deserve a trophy. You're my winners and you deserve a trophy for your faithfulness. And this is what Jesus is looking at Stephen and has his arms open wide. An interesting aside here that Stephanos is also the crown worn at marriages and special celebrations. And here you get a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church, each wearing crowns in this marriage ceremony as Jesus comes for his bride. See, the crown Stephen receives is a crown without cares. There are no rivals to this crown. There's no envy in this crown, and it has no end. The kingly crown, the worldly crown is heavy. And it's full of cares, the cares of the world. And you have to worry about it when it's on your head. And eventually when you wear it long enough, guess what? You get a headache. It bears you down. Are you longing for that crown? Are you longing for the crown of glory? A crown for faithfulness? Are you longing for Christ to welcome you into heaven? For Christ to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done because of your faithfulness? Is that the crown you're striving for? It's interesting to note Christ's position in all this. It clearly says that he is standing. When Christ ascended into heaven, what did he do? He sat down at the throne of God. He sat down on the right hand of God. What an interesting picture. Christ is sitting in the seat of glory. He's seated on the throne of God, but then he stands to greet a saint, to welcome a saint home, to welcome a saint in. What a glorious picture we have. What a glorious picture we have of Christ coming here. Is this what he meant when he was talking in Luke 12, verse 8, when he said, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. Is this what he's doing? Is he confessing now by standing and saying, this is him. This is my saint. Welcome him, folks. Welcome him. This is my beloved. Welcome him. Is that what he's doing? What a glorious picture we have. What a glorious picture I see here of what's awaiting us, of what we can receive, a crown. You are assured. 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.